You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. There's, uh, I'm using that, that verse there at the top of page one to kind of frame, frame what we'll talk about. And it says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And there's four categories in that verse that we're going to talk about. But no corrupting talk. When, when you're helping somebody in need, the, the theme of this class is really kind of helping those who are in need in different ways. And we're all in need at times, and we all have friends and family who are need, in need. So it's good to learn how to kind of both speak and listen. And you may even think about, as we talk, not only how do you help someone else, but how do I be open at times to receiving the help that I'll need. But the first part of that, let no corrupting talk, I've often seen when people are in need, um, hey, come on in, y'all. There's handouts, right, as you walk in. Um, So when it says let no corrupting talk, the, the first kind of foundation of helping people is you want to be free to speak good words. But oftentimes when you are talking with someone who's in difficulty, you can feel pressure yourself to say the right thing or to know the right thing to say. And oftentimes there isn't a right thing to say, but you want to continually be growing in your own life to have words to give others. And I'll come back and talk a little bit more about that. I'm just going to give an overview. So the first thing, let no corrupting talk, is you want to be thinking about your own character in the process of caring for those you love. And then it says, but only such as is good for building up. There's different places in the scriptures where it talks about when you go to help someone, the tendency can be in a weird way that it makes us feel good in a bad way to help others. It can appeal to our pride. And oftentimes, instead of lifting others up who are suffering, we put them down by how we give our advice. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about that. But the first part is your character. The second part is you want your words to build up. And then the third part, it says, this fits the occasion. Oftentimes we give words that come out of our own story and don't speak to the person in need. What's really difficult when you're um, learning to speak to someone is to get out of your story and out of the way you approach things and think about what will actually help them. What do they really need to hear in a way that will help them? So you want words that fit the occasion. There's handouts as y'all guys come in. And then the last part is that it may give grace to those who hear. We want our encouragement, our advice as we talk with people to help them step towards the Lord. It says, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Oftentimes when we're in difficulty, the way to move forward or the solution takes more faith, which often takes some humility to grow into. We'll talk more about that. But that's kind of the four foundations that we're going to go through. Okay. So the first thing, the character of the caregiver, the first foundation, if we're going to become people who care well for others, is our own character, okay? And I have a sentence there. I say this. One of the biggest impediments to good care is the caregiver. One anothering, the theme of this class, one anothering, those in our world is not a knowledge problem. It's a courage, compassion, and endurance problem. Let me tell you what I'm saying there. Oftentimes, as I said, when you stand across from someone who's in need, 
the first thing you're going to feel is, I don't know what to say, or I have to say the perfect thing. And you all, that's your fleshly nature telling you that. The breastplate of righteousness is we don't help others because we've achieved something great in our own life. We help others as a gift, as a privilege. It's something we do in the body of Christ. It's a gift to speak life into someone else or to have them speak life into you. But as you go to give someone a gift, as you go to help them, your own fleshly nature is going to be inflamed and say, you don't know what you're saying, you don't know how to say it. Or you can have pride and you can say it wrong. And so we want to be thinking about our own character and that it's not a knowledge problem. Oftentimes it's not that you don't know what to say. I'm saying it's a courage, compassion, and endurance problem. Okay, oftentimes we're afraid to say the most helpful things. And sometimes, y'all, that is, you might be coming alongside someone who's grieving, and in some ways you're afraid to say, I don't know what to say. All I can tell you is that I love you. Because it doesn't seem like enough. That's not a knowledge problem, that's a courage problem, okay? And then a compassion problem, compassion, if you looked at like the um, parable of the Good Samaritan, where the Samaritan felt compassion to move towards the person, the two religious people went right by, (laughs) because their hearts were hard, they didn't have compassion. And compassion isn't just having empathy, compassion is actually seeing the need in such a way that we move towards them, and that we want to give to them. And then the other thing is, Uh, endurance. The reason it's not just knowledge, oftentimes we don't take a step to get more involved with someone because we know without knowing that if we take one step, it might be 15 steps. And so it's oftentimes a more an endurance problem than a a knowledge problem. Does that make sense? And I have underneath that, I have a bunch of um, one another verses. I kind of, um, if if you just googled one another verses in the Bible, you would get like three pages. Like I had to cut this massively to just kind of give you a picture of all the different ways we're to one another. And again, that's I want like in a simple way, what I want us to think is, Lord, it really isn't a knowledge problem. It's a courage, compassion, endurance problem. Like just help us, Lord, this week where we could one another a little bit more help us to do it because we're going to have a million opportunities. And also, I also want you to think like because the, the opposite extreme could be someone who one another's too much. And maybe sometimes you need to pull back and think of who I'm going to want another with. Like, I don't want it, I don't want someone who's bent that way to feel guilty to be doing more next week than they need to do. But for those of us who are kind of saw this class and thought, I want to do it because I want to think about one anothering, I want you to think, again, oftentimes it's a courage, compassion, endurance problem. Lord, help me. Just help me to one another someone this week. Okay? All right, I'm going to pause there. Any, any questions? I don't want to just, Talk the whole time. Any? If if, 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 as I, if as I talk, you have questions, just I'd love to engage you. Okay. All right. If you go to page two, um, I actually had um, a couple verses from the top of bottom of page one to the top of page two. That first verse is Matthew where it says, if you judge the log in your own eye, you will see more clearly to judge the splinter in your brother's eye. Now think about that. If you judge the log in your own eye, you will see more clearly to judge the splinter in your brother's eye. Victor said um, when he introduced me about how I went to the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy because I just wanted more discipline. And in the pain of my own life growing up, the way I made my life work was just 
by working hard and staying on top of things and being super responsible, okay? And so my gospel philosophy was what I would call a blue-collar football philosophy, okay? Because that was the thing I loved most was football. And so if you were in difficulty, you just needed to push yourself harder was my philosophy. So when I went through my counseling training, the very first thing I had to do, you had to meet with someone and be counseled the whole time you were there. And then you also had to do group counseling because they were going to make you look at the log in your own eye. So the very first thing I had to do, the person who was going to counsel me my first semester, we actually had, it was audio taped, and I had to counsel them. And she acted like a 14-year-old girl with anorexia. Okay, And after 40 minutes of kind of a make-believe counseling session where I was the counselor, my image at the end of those 40 minutes was like I had a baseball bat and she was like a scared cat in the corner like this. And I was like, you are going to tell me I'm helpful and you're going to make sure that you do what I tell you to do because if you don't get better, I'm not going to feel good about myself. Okay, And all my words were about me. All right, And I had to go through a process where I had to get clearer inside so that I could give better advice to someone outside of me. Okay, So if you want to want another better, part of that process is to judge a log in your own eye. It will help you see more clearly. My solution for everybody was work harder. And there were some people that needed the opposite solution. Okay, um, And then I just have two other verses there. The second one is from Corinthians, where it simply talks about that we kind of care for others the way the Lord has cared for us. So I know this may sound strange, but if you're going to become a person who one another's well, I want to say, how are you being one another in your life? Where are you open to God's care for you and maybe even God's care for you through other people? Can you ask other people for help? Can you ask other people to pray for you? The more and more the weight of your life is shared by some people who love you and by the Lord, that does something inside of you that gives you better words for other people. Does that make sense a little bit? Okay. And then the last verse I have there is, um, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Just that one anothering requires a certain level of unselfishness. As we continue to grow out of unselfishness, we're just more present and able to help others. Okay. All right. So that's the first foundation of the one anothering process is let no corrupting talk come out of you. Be walking with the Lord in a way where your insides are changing. You're having more buoyancy in the gospel. You're able to see outside yourself and then come alongside someone. Okay. All right. The second part, the goal of the caregiver building up. So I say this. Our aim is to direct a person in need to a richer experience of the gospel that leads to buoyancy. My word for faith is buoyancy. Okay? Like being able to stay buoyant. We live in a fallen world where there's difficulties and problems and issues and we want to be walking with the Lord in a way where we're able to stay buoyant. Well, someone who's in need has gotten stuck. They've gotten weighed down. They don't feel as buoyant. So you're wanting to talk with them in a way where they leave with more life, where they're encouraged and they feel more buoyancy. Okay, um, We are to help the believer move toward more of Christ in them and around them. A believer's buoyancy is connected to the life they experience in their relationships with God and His church and others in spheres of impact, vocation, school, and neighborhood. Here, here's what I'm saying. I mean, I don't, I don't want to weigh you down with words, but if you're going to encourage someone, you want to be thinking two things. The, our deep longings as human beings are to rule and subdue, to make a difference in our world, and to be fruitful and multiply, to be connected. 
Okay, that's the creation mandate. We're made to rule and subdue and to be fruitful and multiply. We're made to make a difference in our world and we're made to be connected. We're meaning-seeking creatures and we're social creatures. Well, oftentimes when people are stuck, it's those two big areas where they're stuck. If I'm seeing a young mom who's struggling, okay, and oftentimes, you know why she's struggling? Is because she has three kids, so she has more responsibility than she ever dreamed of and less margins than she ever dreamed of. More responsibility and less margins equals stress. <laughs> and when you're under stress, you don't see straight. And I don't care, because I'll have, I'll have young mothers come to me, and, you know, and, and sometimes they're really good evangelicals in the worst sort of way. And they tell me, I just need to read my Bible more and I need to pray more. And I'm like, actually, I think if you would just let one of your friends watch your kids and go take a walk at <laughs> Jemison Park, I think, I think you'd feel a lot better, okay? Do you see that, how that's like building her up, all right, and not putting pressure on her? Because really what I'm saying is you've gotten weighed down, you've gotten stuck because you feel like you're not having impact the way you want. And I'm like, you're trying so hard to have impact, you're forgetting that you're doing a really good job as a mom. And just take a little walk and maybe on the way home you'll think, I kind of actually love those kids a little bit, you know, something like that, all right? So building up is helping them in those areas, all right? I say this, and God blessed them. This is the verse I have. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Um, intimacy and impact. We're meaning-seeking creatures. We're social creatures. So let's just think about I, I use the example of a young mom. Let's take a more extreme example. Let's say maybe someone's had infidelity or a substance abuse problem that's gotten revealed, like something way over here that um, kind of weighs them down even more, okay? Oftentimes when I um, sit with someone in that situation, like they just feel so much shame and they feel so disconnected. And so sometimes just a simple way to encourage them is like if I don't beat them up, if I just listen and kind of grieve with them, and it's not like I'm going to cover over what happened, but I'm just like, I hate what's happened. I don't think, like, and I'll just say, I don't think, you know, 20 years ago, this is what you planned on happening. And all I'm doing is giving them a little bit of relationship. All I'm doing is entering into their sphere and caring for them so that they feel some connection and then that some buoyancy. Because oftentimes, those people, when you've experienced the most heartache, is when you feel the most shame and, and, and what you want to hear in the worst sort of way is you've got to do all these things to make it right. Whenever I've met with someone like in a substance abuse situation or a difficult problem, or a difficult situation like an affair, and I ask them, what do you think you need to do? They'll usually give a huge list of things, like, and they feel like I've got to earn it all, all right? And so just giving them a little bit of relationship is encouragement. So I think just thinking in those categories, how do I help them feel a little bit more connected? How do I maybe help them step into a little bit more meaning, okay? And maybe even after... That with the young mom, like let's say you, you just let her lament about how difficult it is and maybe she's beating herself up that I'm not a good mom. And you kind of say, listen, there ain't any mom with four young kids who feels like a good mom. And you just, all right? And as she gets closer and settles in, then maybe you dream a little bit about a couple things she could do differently. Okay, but you don't start there. And then she leaves with a little bit of comfort in her relationship and a little bit of knowledge about how to have more impact how to do it differently, and you've thought in those two categories, all right? All right, any questions on that? I don't want to race too, too, yeah. I had a question about the first part you're talking about. I feel like 
tolerance. Like it's just like so extreme, whether it's the Me Too, whether it's yeah. something happens and people are just like, a lot of it does happen on virally. I think mm-hmm. it's just like yeah. it's not building up. It's not. Yeah. It's it's hard. Yes. And I, yes. I teach your children to. It's just, it, it makes me sad. I mean, yeah. It's just some of the ugliness. That yeah. People like want the work for people. Yes, yes, like yeah. They're, they're, they're finding joy in that. Yeah, yeah. Now that's a, that's a beautiful reflection. And, and your question kind of was more, how do I help my children kind of in a world like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say this, you, you really teach your children three ways. Auditory, with your mouth, okay? Kinesthetic, how they experience you, how you relate to them, you teach them, and then visually, they watch you. Too often, we're focused on what we say to our kids, but like, if they mess up, and, and you don't meet to them or shame them or whatever, you know, um, get on your social media, like, I'll see some of these parents talking about what their kids did wrong on social media, and I'm like, what are you, like, what are you thinking? Okay. But if you just come alongside them and you're kind to them, what are you teaching them? The opposite of what the world's like. And so if you are, and this is why I would go back to, you're really one another and your children. If you're growing in the gospel, you're going to be teaching your children all three ways. Okay. Not just, and, and too often evangelical parents just teach their kids through teaching, but they're not really changing. And they're not really, because as you change, your kids watch that as well, okay? This was um, my middle daughter, Abby, when she was about four. She, uh, we were packing the van to go see my family in New Jersey, and she said, Dad, you're going to ruin this trip too? And uh, I said, I said, Abbers, I didn't even know I was uptight. I'm so sorry. I said, thank you for saying something. I really think it's going to help. I just don't know how much it's going to help. And I said, so you have my permission to tell me again if this happens. So eight hours later, we were in Virginia. <laughs> and she said, hey, Dad, you remember how you said, well, now's the time. Okay. Well, well, about 12 years later, she's about 16, we were in a new house. And there had been a scuff mark in the old house where I'd gotten angry and kicked the door that I think every time she walked by it, she's like, my dad's a mean man. So she's 16 and she says, Dad, there's no scuff mark in this house. You're really different. Okay, so she saw changes visually and kinesthetically that helped her hear the gospel. So I think as you're doing all those things, I think your kids, and this is what you're going to be afraid that we're not enough, what we're doing in our home. It's just not true. Okay? And so I think you can teach them in that way the opposite of what they're going to learn in the culture outside. All right. Um, Anybody else? All right. So that's the, um, so we've talked about the character of the counselor and the goal of the caregiver. Now let's talk about the context of the person in need, okay? What's really hard when you're really caring for someone in need, and it's so weird because they're the ones in need, but then it gets on you, like, what do I say and what do I do? It's hard to stay outside yourself and stay focused on them and think about what's going to help them. So I say this, too often out of fear, a caregiver offers a solution that the person's life does not bear. To care well, you must patiently and discerningly assess the person's story to know what will speak life to them and when to speak it to them. Now hop down, I have another sentence there. Their story means understanding how their past impacts the present. If you picked up a novel and started reading it in the middle, you would have numerous questions. Being curious about a person's life will help you understand their present context in a way that informs your presence in words. Feeling pressure to say something wise or quick will shut down your curiosity 
and will pull you away from caring well. So here's, here's what I want you to think, okay? When someone's in need, there's something going on in the present. So we'll just go back to the young mom, okay? And oftentimes, in the present, when you're stuck and there's pressure, you're sinking down, okay? When we're vulnerable, okay, evil's the opposite of God. When we're vulnerable, he makes it harder, makes it worse, okay? And evil's the world, the flesh, and your devil, the devil. So you have a fleshly nature in you that's partly evil. And so when the young mom's shrinking down, she's going to get filled with lies that aren't true, okay? And um, so if you... if if you, she comes to talk to you and she's all stressed out about what a bad mom she is, try to ask some questions. Maybe something like, well, why is it so important to you to be a good mom? Here's what you're going to find out. Well, this is what happened in my family. Okay, Guys, oftentimes when we're caught in a trap, this is Galatians 6, and it says if someone's caught in a trap, if sin has overtaken them, talk to them kindly and thoughtfully. And then it says bear each other's burdens. Guys, under our wounds, under our deception, under our deceptions are often wounds that form the false things we're believing. Okay? So this mom is feeling like, I want it to be so different than my mom. And, and this is a family thing. No matter how good your parents are, they weren't that good. Okay? <laughs> and your parents should want your, their grandchildren to have a better life than you have. Okay? My daughters, I could tell you a numerous stories where my girls talk about our family and wounds to them and how they're becoming better people outside our family. And I celebrate that. They're all becoming better versions outside. Our family was too serious and like totally. Okay. So the young mom is sinking down. Okay. Because she feels like she remembers the pain that she felt as a child. and She wants it different for her child. And oftentimes, y'all, this is a crazy thing. We're often trying to be really good in areas of our strengths. Right. So let's say the mom like like her gift as a mom is that she's real organized and she's real disciplined. And if she's sinking down, she's thinking, we're just not organized enough and I forgot this and I forgot that. And you're like, sister, you see things so organized for you to actually miss a thing or two is actually really a gift. Okay? Does that make sense a little bit? The, a different mom who's, and this is more like Dawn, like I would have wanted Dawn to be more like that, you know. <laughs> she was the opposite, okay? Like we're not having enough fun and I'm not connecting with the girls enough, you know. <laughs> And, and I'm like, sweetheart, on your worst day, you connect with the kids. Like, stop, okay? But in, when we're sinking down and we get under fear, those wounds start to deceive us. And so then when you can speak to them words that they need to hear, then they can go forward in, with hope. But you have to ask questions, okay? And what's hard is if you feel so much pressure to have the right answer, then you're moving back and you're not asking questions. You're not just being curious, so again, the simple way I tried to frame it is you would not pick up a novel in the seventh chapter. You just would never do that. You would go back and try to read so that you can understand what's going on in the present. So if you can just think as you're sitting across from somebody who's stuck or you're talking on the phone or even texting, ask questions. Okay, when you find yourself getting defensive, right, and you're moving back like you don't know what to say, move forward and simply ask a question. The people who tried to trap Jesus, I want you to look all through the scriptures. He asked questions. He disarmed them. Okay. So one of the easiest ways to kind of understand the context is to simply ask some questions. All right. All right. Let's um, let's turn the page. Any any questions on that? Any? Yeah. Uh, for the 50th year, I have a 
Uh huh. Uh, in certain cases, and uh, I feel like almost but at the wrong time. Uh huh. Sometimes you have to be patient. Yes. You ask the yeah. And you wait. Yeah. And sometimes when people are revealing something sensitive, it, it, it's a longer wait. Yeah. Um, and I, I tend to get nervous, anxious, yeah. and, and say something yeah. that's almost like it shuts them down. Yes. Yes. Um, that's well. Let me say this. First of all, that's a great reflection. That's so wise. Okay. We can make the opposite mistake where we're asking too many questions out of anxiety. Y'all, and as a young counselor, what I would do is I would be like five questions, but patiently. So I would ask a question and let them talk and like I'd be holding my other four fingers, you know, and like I would give myself time. You're not going to say anything for 20 minutes. And I'd be four minutes in and be like, oh, how am I going to make it 16 minutes? Okay. All, all I can say, I mean, it's a beautiful question, and I just think what you, if you know yourself that well and you seem to do, to be like, Lord, I've just, you've just got to help me slow down. It's such a discipline. Your flame, your flesh will get inflamed, like you start thinking. And you can probably see a lot, and so a lot of questions come to you, and it's just hard to say no to that, okay? But listening is such a discipline. I, I was out, we were out at a... Um, with our small group from church last night and um, over someone's house. And at the end of the night, someone said, you were really quiet. And I was not um, about four years ago. I went home to New Jersey. A good friend of mine's sons were playing varsity basketball where I had played and my other friends had played in high school. And we all came in to watch his son play. And we all went out for pizza after the game where we used to go for pizza when we were kids. And like, as we were sitting around, I was realizing 40 years ago, I would have been the one talking the most and I'm hardly talking at all. And it's because I developed a discipline of listening. And if you actually listen in social settings, you probably won't talk because you're actually taking it in and you're, and you can't be taking it in if you want to talk because you got to, right when the person stops, you got to get your question out there or your words or you're not going to be part of the conversation. And like, Growing a discipline to listen has so changed me that socially, I don't think I'm as introverted as I seem now, but, but I, it's what I do five days a week. I just listen more and it's shut me down some. So I would just say, it's just a great question to keep practicing it, the discipline of listening. And guys, realize, think about it. Think about the gift and value of listening. All right? When someone, our life feels like this. Like if you put your hands in front of your face and there's only two inches, you can't see your life. Someone else, your life is a foot out and they can see it, okay? And actually, as you talk, your life begins to, you get more perspective, okay? So oftentimes, I want you to think just listening to someone is helping them and we often don't think that way. So even just to think, my, you're like, we want our advice to be the main thing, okay? <laughs> my, um, there's a lot of wives I've helped in Birmingham. One is not my wife, okay? <laughs> Because I wanted to give her advice and not listen. As a husband, you give a lot less advice than you do as a counselor, okay? And, and really just listening to her and sharing in her burdens is what's helped her most, okay? So all I would, hopefully that helps a little bit, but great question. All right. Um, yeah. Sorry. No. No, I will say this, this, this more has to do with wisdom. 
I have a fellow I have lunch with every other week. We've been having lunch for 20 years together. There's another fellow I Skype with, a counselor in Atlanta. Every other week, we've been doing that for eight years. And so I just have places in my life where I do that. And honestly, as a guy, like when I started having lunch with that guy 20 years ago, the first four years, I thought, why am I doing this? I could be getting work done. This is the stupidest thing in the world because I didn't value that need. And I had to kind of stay at it as a guy to have men in my life. And really, I have to schedule it to make it happen, to be honest. Um, but I do. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Just check in. No, no. no. <laughs> um, anybody else? Any other questions? The, the last part, and I'll just say a minute about it. I have um, the fruit of the caregiving process that it may give grace to those who hear. Guys, the thing about grace, when in, this is in James 4 and 1 Peter 5, it's the verses where it talks about your enemy, the devil prowls around seeking some victim to devour. Okay? Evil always goes after the vulnerable. So when you're stuck, I've talked about you're sinking down, okay? Whatever step you're going to take forward is going to take some humility, okay? So we can even talk about, like, I think in general, I, I mean, you may be surprised I was going to say in general I think I was a pretty good dad even given I was kind of angry but anyway um, what was hard for me as I grew as a dad was to disappoint my daughters so oftentimes when they were stuck and they needed some discipline I needed to say things that were uncomfortable and they were hard for me I needed God's grace and, and they were simple things like you're going to be grounded or something, but they were so hard for me to say, and I needed God's grace to do that, okay? What I want you to think is oftentimes when people are stuck, if you've listened well and you're going to give them words that are going to help them step ahead, those words are often going to confront things they've trusted. Okay, so like the busy mom who wants to just be more organized, really what you're saying is go take a walk at Jemison Park. That offends her because she wants to get more done. Okay, but that's where she's going to experience God's grace. Because oftentimes what we're trying to do in the caregiving process is to help someone be more reconciled to God. Okay, and what gets in the way of that is us receiving his love. But often the solutions to moving ahead are they're going to confront things we trust. And that's kind of my words and verses there to help you think about. Oftentimes whenever we step forward in faith, it's going to be confronting something we trust. Okay. Oftentimes the Lord lets us kind of be in difficulty because he's exposing things we've trusted that are not trustworthy. Okay. And we need some help choosing things that would give us life or give us buoyancy. Okay. So let me try to think of, I mean, this is a stupid example of what comes to mind. Let's say you've got a you're Sally and you're in college and you're good friends, an athlete at Auburn, he's gotten a stress fracture, okay, because he's been working too hard. The hardest thing for that person is here, it's, it's kind of a kindness that you can't work out the next three weeks because you've pushed yourself too hard. That's just truth that helps them step into God's grace in that moment where then they have more buoyancy. Does that make sense a little bit? I hope that helps. And we, in the next couple of weeks, we can flesh some of these four things out as we talk about kind of different categories of suffering people can be in. Um, I've got, I think, a couple more minutes for questions and then I'll pray. Any other questions? If yeah. you're trying to help someone, you keep at, like, at some point you're like, I've asked, like, you step back and just wait for them to come to you, like, you know, especially yeah. in, like, in, in, not husband, but family. Yeah. It's in a family, like, or yeah. you're just like, they'll come to you when they're ready. 
Well, let me say let me say two things. Oftentimes, I don't think family does a good job helping each other because we tend to see family relationships like this. And so, like if my if my youngest daughter, who's the quietest out of my three, if my oldest daughter was talking to my youngest daughter about how she doesn't have a voice and she needs to stand up for herself, she'd be like, "You're darn right, I don't have a voice, and it's your darn fault, right?" <laughs> like. Families just oftentimes, so I would say you're probably struggling with there's things I want to do that I just can't. And it's not that you're not caring well, it's that I'm really dependent on other people to speak into their life and that person to be more open probably to the people in the circle of their life and let me pray for that, um, if that helps. Isn't yeah. there a term for that, the, the communication that you're not able to have sometimes with your family? Is uh-huh. there a, a, a word for that? Yeah, sadness. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There probably is a word. It's just so... It's Yeah. Um, well, codependency is when you try to care for people too much. Um, boundaries. I mean, I, you know, there's words out there. But it's... it's Y'all, the Scriptures say your church family, your gospel family, oftentimes helps you make movement towards the Lord more than your biological family. Biological family is supposed to be do belonging. Holidays, birthdays, and stuff. They're really not supposed to help you move closer to Jesus a whole lot. I'm not talking about parenting. That's a different story. But, all right, let me pray. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, man. Okay, in the asking questions, yeah. say you're, you're uh, helping a friend who's in grief. Yeah. Okay, let me say this. When someone's in grief, I know this will sound crazy, all you have to do is help them grieve. So you help them talk about what they've lost. Because someone will like especially in grief, and we're gonna, we'll probably talk some more about it, but oftentimes it's the weirdest thing. They'll be beating themselves up that they should have done more or could have done more or how are they going to live without this person. And then I'll say, well, before we talk about that, like, remind me again what it was that you loved about that person. Or tell me a story about that person. And then you'll feel how much you miss that person too and, they, and then you'll cry a little bit together and that's how you help them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I... Uh, the. I do a lot of marriage and family counseling and a lot of grief counseling. And oftentimes, all I'm doing is helping someone feel their loss. It's, it's not a science. It's just hard to hurt with them, really. So, all right, let me pray. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you um, for your church and your people and the people here who have a heart to just one another better. Lord, in whatever way um, some things were said that were helpful, I just pray that you would help us to respond to those things and walk those things out and um, just find more joy in one anothering those in our world. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.